Thank you. It is really great to be here and to share with you in this protracted event, and I'm thankful to God for the opportunity to preach the gospel of Christ Jesus and to share with the saints that are here. And I've just had a great time with the Renew Conference, and uh, certainly that is due to my good friend Bobby who is here, and I'm thankful to him and the acquaintance that we have made. Uh, we share uh, like conviction that God's word is in fact our authority, and through that conviction, we've developed a really strong friendship. And of course, uh, Nate is just full of energy. I love that guy, man. He is, he is on fire all the time. He doesn't have a level one through eight. He's just level 10, you know? And I just absolutely love him. And uh, I can tell that the Lord is gonna bless us with a wonderful relationship. And I was certainly honored that he would have me to speak here uh, to all of you. So I want to say that I'm thankful to God for this opportunity. And I hope that what I share will be a blessing uh, to your life. I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles. I like to preach from the Bible. Isn't that a novel idea? Um, I'm going to preach from Romans 7. And I want to uh, say a few things to you that I hope will be helpful. I was made aware of the theme and the uh, projection of this study. And I understand that the series is Saints and Struggles. And I want to speak into that from the context of Romans 7 that was assigned to me, and I'm grateful to God to do just that. I think the book of Romans is one of the great didactic epistles written by the Apostle Paul, and he does an incredible job in giving us an excellent dissertation on the idea of justification. And I want to talk about um, saints and struggles under the heading, I need Jesus in this struggle. The truth of the matter is that sometimes the first day of the week or Sunday or any day of the week, sometimes we find ourselves in a context where being Christian often um, comes with the idea that I can't be honest. And sometimes the truth of the matter is that people struggle and Christians struggle. And I think because we are saved and we've been washed in the blood of Jesus and because we are members of the body of Christ, um, at times, it gives people the impression that we believe that we don't struggle. And there are times when Christians struggle and they can't be honest with it because sometimes they don't want to be that person in the congregation that is struggling with something that you really don't want anybody to know about. And the truth of the matter is that all of us engage and have moments of struggle. Being a Christian or being a saint does not mean that I'm always saintly. Uh, there are moments when I am struggling with something and I'm struggling with the temptation. And the reality is that although I am saved, I still have moments when I am struggling. There are times that there are people who do not find themselves wanting to be part of the body of Christ because they always make this kind of statement. They say, I need to get some things worked out first before I give my life to God. And what they don't understand is that you are going to spend the rest of your life trying to work things out. You will never come to God if you're waiting to get everything perfect. I think it's time for the body of Christ to be honest enough to tell people, although we are saved, we still struggle with our imperfection. And the best place for you to be is in the body of Christ, saved by the grace of God, because we are in fact a work in progress. 
And so we need to be honest enough to admit that and help people understand we are not saved on the basis of our moral perfection. We are saved by grace through faith in the person of Christ Jesus. And it is Jesus who keeps me saved. It is his blood that keeps me cleansed. And we need to help people understand the power of God's grace. To that end, I want you to look at Romans 7 with me. I'm going to read uh, just a few passages just to set the context and then uh, we'll move uh, deeper into our discussion. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin, Romans 7:14. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. When we read Romans, the seventh chapter, be it known that the Apostle Paul sets his thematic emphasis in chapter 1, verse 14, where he says, I am a debtor to the Greek and to the barbarian or to the unwise, and so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Then he says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein or in there is the righteousness of God revealed. The thematic emphasis or the thesis of the Apostle Paul is that righteousness is found in the gospel of Christ Jesus. And so as you read through the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is going to make clear that in chapter 1, all Gentiles are in sin. In chapter 2, Jews are in sin. And in case you missed chapter 1 and 2 and chapter 3, he says, all sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely through his grace. So as I'm reading the book of Romans, as you read Romans, it is a great explanation of the efficacy of the death of Jesus. How is it that you and I are saved? We are saved because Jesus Christ died for our sins and through his death, we have access into grace and mercy. The forgiveness of sin is offered by his blood. And to that end, you and I have a right relationship with God, otherwise known as justification, in which I've been put in right standing with him. The beauty of that is that although we are guilty, God treats us as if we never sinned. I call it the theology of as if, which I mentioned earlier today. I'm saved by the theology of as if. God treated Jesus as if he sinned, so he can treat me as if I never sinned. So the theology of as if is simple. Jesus suffered as if he sinned, so that I can be treated righteous as if I never sin. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news. Now, in that essence, we find as, as Paul goes through the document and goes through the letter, he wants us to be clear about that very fact. Here's a couple of things I want to put on your mind. Um, the reality of being a saint is that I'm not always saintly. A couple of things I want you to be clear about. Although I am saved from sin, that is, I'm saved from the state of sin, I struggle with sin, that is, I struggle with the occasions of sin. I'm saved from the state of sin, 
But there are moments when I still struggle with sin. Now, to that end, I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. I'm saved in three tenses. I'm saved from past sin. God is still saving me from present moments of sin, and I will be saved. God will eradicate and save me completely from sin. So I need to see myself as a work in process. I'm saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved because God saves me in three tenses, past sin, present sin, future sin. And so I want to be very clear that as we talk about Romans 7, I want to make sure you're getting out of it that I am a work in progress. Now, here's what Paul does in Romans 7. In Romans 7, Paul wants to be clear that no one is saved on the basis of law keeping. The law of Moses is not able to save you. It exposes sin. It is the knowledge of sin, but it's not able to fix sin. And so what Paul is going to do in Romans 7 is he's going to acknowledge that one who is in the flesh, that is, that has carnality, one who is trying to do right by God will never do so on the, on the basis of perfect law keeping. I will never be saved because I'm a perfect law keeper. So even though I would do good, evil is present with me, and although with my inner man I want to serve the law of God, I find another law dwelling in me, the law of sin and death, and I'm in this tug of war trying to do what is right while evil is present. If I try to be saved on the basis of my own perfect law keeping, I will always come up short. And so Paul wants to argue in Romans 7 that although the law of Moses is good, as I try to attain to the righteousness of the law, I keep coming up short, and he comes to the conclusion, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin and death? In other words, Paul is saying, I want you to see me as one reaching for the law, but I'm missing the mark in the perfection of the law because I have another law dwelling in my body. That's the law of sin and death. So when Paul uses the word law, he doesn't just mean codified law. He also means the dominant rule of sin. The law of sin and death is the rule of sin in my life. And on my own basis, and on the basis of my own perfection, I can never be saved. This is what Paul is going to argue in Romans chapter 7. The beauty is, I'm glad he doesn't stop with chapter 7. He gets to Romans 8.1, and he says, There is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? There is now no condemnation. God has lifted the verdict guilty, and there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ. God has saved me from this battle of reaching for his righteousness, coming up short. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? The word wretched often had historically the idea of carrying a dead body on your back, and he paints this incredible imagery of condemnation. And as one is carrying this dead body on their back. Often a person who murdered somebody, his punishment was to carry the dead body. And Paul uses that imagery of, oh, wretched man that I am. He sees you and I when we're trying to reach righteousness on our own, but we keep coming up short. Paul is saying, you are carrying a dead man on your back. Who shall deliver me from this body of sin? I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has delivered me. And then Romans 8 is that climactic moment when he says, there is now. No condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. It's hard to get happy on chapter 8 if you don't understand the struggle of chapter 7. Chapter 7 is that ugly struggle with sin. 
Chapter 8 says, in spite of my struggle, Jesus has lifted the verdict guilty and I'm saved through the finished work of Christ Jesus because of his death on the cross. Now that's what Romans 7 is doing in essence. Couple of things I want you to see. One, we are slain by the law. In Romans chapter seven and verse number five, this is where we see Paul uh, articulating the idea that we are slain. Uh, excuse me, we, before we get to slain, he talks about slavery to carnality. I want you to picture Romans 7, 14 and 15. Listen to it, it says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. He pictures himself as in slavery as he deals with this struggle with sin. I keep missing the mark of God's righteousness. And as I picture myself trying to reach for that righteousness, it feels like a slavery. He says, I am in the flesh. Let me define what he means by in the flesh. I think it's obvious that all of us have a body, but the way Paul uses the word flesh, he uses it as a description of one's carnality or one's fallen human nature, that I am carnal, sold unto sin. I am in the flesh. Romans 8, he's going to say we're no longer in the flesh, still in the body, but I'm not ruled by my human nature because I'm under the rule of the Holy Spirit. So he sees, yourself, sees us as struggling. Now, even though we get saved, we still have this struggle. Even though I've been washing the blood of Jesus, I still have this struggle. Even though I have the grace of God on my side, I will have occasions and moments when I'm struggling with my carnality. God saved me, he's saving me, and he will save me, and I'm still struggling with my carnality. What does that look like? It looks like this tug of war when I would do good, evil is present with me. And sometimes you struggle in the privacy of your own mind and home. Church people don't know about it, you know about it. And sometimes you come to church and under all the singing and all the praising, you're still haunted by the reality that I'm struggling with this thing that I find difficult to deal with. What is temptation? Temptation is an interesting animal with two prongs. Temptation is when there is weakness and opportunity. Sometimes there's an opportunity, but I'm not weak. Other times I'm weak, but there was no opportunity. But all when weakness and opportunity show up in the same context, you have a show enough temptation. I joke with my wife sometimes. We, we have celebrities that we think are good-looking celebrities like everyone else. And um, my wife asked me one time, we was watching an award show. She said, do you like Beyonce? Is Beyonce a temptation for you? I said, no. And she says, oh, so Beyonce doesn't tempt you? I said, absolutely not. I don't know her, there's no opportunity. She was like, oh, so you're saying she makes you weak. Said it doesn't matter. The point is there's no, there's no opportunity, so it's not a temptation. <laughs> temptation requires two things. Of course, she likes Idris Elba, I think his name is. Uh, that's her guy. You know, she sees Idris. She's like, oh, he's so gorgeous. I said, oh, that's your temptation? She said, no, there's no opportunity. I said, thank you very much. I appreciate that. What is temptation? Temptation is when both are present. It's when there's a weakness and there's, a, and there's an opportunity. And when those two things meet, you are tempted. 
Temptation can be a strong pull that's difficult to manage. And the reality of the, of the, of the reality of it is that all of us will have moments of weakness and sometimes you gotta learn how to manage your opportunities. Sometimes avoiding the opportunity is best thing in the world so that you don't act on your weakness. And sometimes you need to know both sides of the equation. So what Paul is doing in Romans 7 is he's acknowledging the reality that my carnality is my struggle. Christians have to learn to get honest. So many people can't even relate to us because we're so busy using church cliches. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. Everything's always good. I'm always fine. I don't struggle. I pray every day and I'm always praying and I'm just too strong. I can't believe somebody did that. Sometimes the reason is that we hide under the secrecy of our struggle while pointing out everybody else's sin and we have a habit of trying to look righteous and not be honest with our own struggle. The reality is maybe we ought to be honest with people and say we all struggle and that will attract them to the need for Jesus because we're not being self-righteous in how we're presenting who we are. I am a saint but I struggle. I am saved but every now and then I'm in a deep area of pain. Sometimes it hurts me how I struggle. In the privacy of my mind, I'm thinking of my struggle. But thank God to Jesus, he gives me grace, mercy, and time to grow in my salvation. So all of us have to get to a space where you understand I have carnality. I struggle with that carnality. But I have no reason to be judgmental toward anybody else because I struggle like everyone else. But thank God I don't walk on my own strength. It's God's grace that keeps me. So here's what I want you to see also in Romans 7. Paul says, I'm slain by sin. He said, the law killed me. I, was, I didn't know I was a covetous until the law told me not to covet. And he says, when that law came to me, it revived sin and I died. The law kills. What do you mean the law kills? The, when you get a knowledge of sin... The law kills. In other words, the law makes you aware of your spiritual deadness. Law doesn't save anybody. Law will expose your need for Jesus. It'll expose your need for grace, but it doesn't save anybody. And so Paul is saying, by the law, I died. I became aware of sin because the law reveals my carnality. Listen to me. Here is a conundrum for you. There's only two ways to get to heaven. There's really one. But for the sake of theory, there's two. But the first way to get to heaven is keep all of God's commandments perfectly from the age of accountability until the day you die and you can tell God I earned heaven. <sighs> Let me say that again. If you want to go to heaven, here's how you can do it. You can go to heaven on your own merit if you can, tell, if you can keep all of God's commandments from the age of accountability until the day you die perfectly, you can tell God I've earned heaven and I'm waiting for my gift. By now, after I said that, somebody needs to be saying, what's plan B? Because <laughs> we've already missed plan A, right? The other way we get to heaven is on the basis of Christ's righteousness. God imputes his righteousness on my account and my righteousness is his righteousness and I walk in the grace of his righteousness, recognizing that I'm imperfect but dependent on the blood of Jesus. Paul says, by the law, I became knowledgeable of sin and it slew me and I died. But then he describes it as a slavery 
that I'm enslaved to my carnality. But then he gets honest with the struggle. What's the struggle? The struggle is when I would do good, evil is present with me. And I find myself in this tug of war and I find myself struggling because every time I want to do good, evil is present. My carnality is present. I'm trying to do the law and I'm in this battle. Has anyone in here ever been in the tug of war? When you want to do good, but evil is present. When you're in that tug of war, when you know to do right and you end up doing wrong, you find yourself recognizing I'm carnal and I need help. How do I get this help? How do I get help with this temptation? Paul would say in Romans 8 that we need to then walk according to the Holy Spirit, submit to the rule of the Holy Spirit. And as I submit to the rule of the Holy Spirit, my life becomes transformed. It doesn't mean I will ever eradicate and become sinless, but I can sin less. Let me say that again. I'll never be sinless, but I can sin less. Because when I give my life to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will strengthen me and the word of the Holy Spirit will transform me where I'm moving towards sinning Less. I think it's dangerous for all of us to get to a space where we ever think we'll be sinless, but we can embrace the notion that we can sin less and be righteous in the sight of people. I can have the sum total of a righteous lifestyle, although I have moments when I sin. Let me help you understand something. When you watch a movie, you don't judge a movie based on one scene. You need to watch the whole movie to get the context of what the whole movie's about. I'm glad God does not come to a conclusion about me because he saw one scene in my life. That's grace. It's when God can see one scene in my life, but he doesn't judge me based on one scene. God lets my movie play out as as I'm transformed under the rule of the Holy Spirit. So I need to be mindful that I'm going to have moments of temptation. How does God address my temptation? My favorite verse was on the screen earlier, and I, and I want to talk about it just a little bit. We have a high priest that has been touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Jesus is our high priest, Hebrews 4, verse 16. And it says he was tempted in all points, yet without sin. It's an interesting animal because Jesus was God in the flesh. God can't be tempted with evil, yet Jesus was tempted, but he's God in the flesh. So how do we come to the understanding Jesus was tempted? Jesus was tempted in his humanity. He was God and man. Came to this earth, tempted in all points, yet without sin. Then the Bible tells me, let us come to the throne boldly, to the throne of grace boldly, that we might get help in time of need. This is how God helps me. Jesus is sitting on the right hand of God as one that has experienced the full pressure of temptation. And Jesus, while sitting on the right hand of God, pleads my case. Where Jesus can say, I know what it is to be under the full pressure of temptation. I didn't sin, but I know what that struggle feels like. And I'm glad Jesus knows my struggle and can plead my case to God, that when I pray to God, God will give me mercy and grace because his son experienced the full pressure of temptation. So I can come to the throne of grace boldly to get help in time of need. Why? Because Jesus has felt the full pressure of what it means to be tempted. I can pray and get grace and mercy in those moments when I fail. 
I'll leave you with this story. There was a doctor who had a patient that lost their legs and they had uh, prostheses. They had those legs to help them walk. It wasn't their actual legs, but they had uh, legs to help them walk that were created. But it was difficult for the person to walk. They, they would walk and, and they would stop, they would fall on the ground, they would walk again and they would fall on the ground and the struggle and the pain of trying to learn how to walk with legs that are not your own was a terrible experience. And he's trying to move and he's trying to walk and they fall on the ground and he gets back up. And finally, one time the young man fell and the doctor said, get up. And the young man said, you don't understand my pain and you don't understand what I'm going through and you don't understand the struggle that I'm feeling right now. You're not going through this process. It hurts too badly to deal with this. And the doctor said, I'm telling you, get up, walk, you can do it. And the young man said, I'm not doing this anymore because you don't understand my pain. The doctor looked at him and he backed up from the young man. He pulled up his trousers and the doctor had prosthetic legs. And he said, the reason I'm telling you to get up and walk, because I've already felt the pain that you felt. I've already felt the struggle that you're going through. I've already felt the pain of what it means to go through this process. So when I tell you to get up and walk, I'm not being insensitive. I'm simply telling you I've been there and I felt that. I'm glad I serve a Jesus that when I'm in the midst of my pain and agony, he'll pull up his trousers to let me know that he's been there and he's done that and he's gone through all the struggles that I've gone through. He's felt the full pressure of my temptation. So when I pray to God and I pray for forgiveness and I pray for mercy and I pray for grace, Jesus sits on the right hand of God, pleads my case, and the father looks at his son and says, I'll give him another chance because you felt the full pressure of temptation. What a wonderful idea and concept. And so I say to you that as you deal with your temptation, as you see your Beyonce's and you see your Idris Elba's, may you recognize that temptation is weakness and opportunity. Learn how to manage your opportunity so that you don't act on your weakness. But even on your best day, you're still gonna have a moment when you fail. You're still gonna have a moment where you miss. And you need to be honest enough with people who want Jesus in their life and tell them, hey, I'm not perfect, I'm just saved. I'm not perfect but I'm saved and I have access to the blood of Christ. Can I give you one last illustration? I was in the military, not the actual military, I was in a National Guard cadet program. It's not real military, it's kind of like fake military. Um, they teach us to walk in cadence, right? And you have to walk in line. Every now and then somebody gets out of line like the steps are off, they'll tell you, don't stop walking, just skip. 
So if I get out of line and my feet get in the wrong space, don't stop walking, just skip and get back in line. The idea is don't quit. Don't stop walking. Don't stop trying. Just have moments when you skip. In your life, you're going to be walking the Christian race. But there will be a moment when you get out of line. I'm encouraging you. Don't stop walking. Just repent and skip and keep moving. Make your confession. I did the wrong thing. I went the wrong place. I'm sorry, God. Don't stop walking. Just skip. I wish we had church people that were patient enough that although I'm not perfect and people are going to make mistakes, don't write them off. Just give them time to skip and get themselves back in line. And I'm telling you that you will live this Christian race with failures, but you'll survive because of his grace. And so Romans 7, yeah, Romans 7 is that moment when you and I can look at Paul's struggle and say, man, he was really struggling with this, trying, using himself as an illustration to keep law, but I keep coming up short. Oh, wretched man that I am. I can't do it by myself. I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, and there's now no condemnation in Christ. So I say to all of you as I quit, I know what it is to struggle privately and be so miserable because I don't know who to go to. You can go to Jesus and he'll take care of you. May God bless you and may God keep you and let's fight this temptation depending on the righteousness of Christ and let's walk in a way that says, God, I trust you even though I'm imperfect. God bless. Grateful for Orpheus and uh, yeah, man, appreciate your heart so much. Yeah. He's, he's leading an incredible church in the Atlanta area and uh, God's not just using him in Atlanta, he's using him here, he's using him all across the country. And, uh, and he's using him through this new book that he wrote. And uh, he's right. We need to make sure we're a community and a people uh, who can be open to God's word and share life and sometimes help each other skip and uh, get back in line together. That's what our whole learning community is all about. That's what we want to invite you to. I love that you're here on this weekend. Uh, and I tell people all the time, the only numerical goal we have here at Northside is this, is we want 80% of our church in a life group. It's the only thing we're after. And here's why. Some of you are like, not 100%, because I know 20% of you ain't, ain't going to sign up, right? You know, so I'm, we're going to give you grace on that, right? But here's our goal. It's this. It's what it means to be the church, is that we're in a community that can be honest with one another. And we're in a community that centers our lives on Jesus and his word and walks with each other. And when we fall down, we pick each other up and we walk through the struggle. That's why I'm in a life group. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't struggle. I've got to have brothers and sisters around me. None of us are exempt. 
None of us are exempt. I want to invite you, if you want to be a part of a learning community, you can sign up for one of those out the living room. Orpheus's book is for sale in the Resource Center on the uh, authority of Scripture. Uh, let me pray for us today, and uh, we'll be able to go and follow him. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for how honest the Apostle Paul is in Romans chapter 7. And Father, we just admit we don't like admitting failure. We don't like being real with the struggle that we have. But God, we thank you that you were real with us before we were ever real with you. And God, you meet us in our time of need and you give us Jesus and you give us your church and you build us up and you encourage us, Jesus, with two simple words, follow me. And so Lord, today I pray that we would have that on our hearts and our minds, that Jesus, we would just simply follow you as you invited broken people into a relationship with you. Jesus, have your way through us today and this week. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said together, amen. amen. May you skip well this week, everybody. God bless you.